Morning, everyone. Today's passage is Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But since food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Kristen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Is anyone offended yet at the passage? You might be. Babies. You may think from this message that I dislike babies. And that is not true. Babies are great. Real babies are wonderful. Spiritual babies is what this author and uh, speaker is addressing. Spiritual babies that God wants to grow up. Actual babies with only milk in their diet, totally fine. If you see an adult and the only consumption they have in their diet is milk, there's a problem. Something is wrong. So, we're going to talk about spiritual babies that this author, speaker, is addressing. Now, throughout this message, I am going to talk about spiritual babies with this phrase, milky babies. I determined that a couple days ago, and I'm sticking to it. So rather than saying spiritual babies, I'm going to call them milky babies. So now you know what I mean when I say that. It was just more memorable for me. So milky babies. Throughout this message, we, we see four descriptions of milky babies. The first one is in verse 11. They, are consist- they consistently don't listen well. They are dull of hearing, verse 11. Second description of milky babies, they are not learning about the Lord. What they hear about God, they forget. They're not retaining. They're not growing in their understanding. They're not truly learning. Third description is in verse 13, where we see that they are biblically unhelpful to those around them. Because they're not learning the word of God, they're not able to help others understand it either. They're not, they are not um, helpful biblically to those around them. That's verse 13. And then the last description of milky babies, we get to verse 14. They are undiscerning. They can't tell right from wrong because they're not in the word of God. So, Christians may be offended at the idea that perhaps they are described as a milky baby, that they may be the ones that would be recipients of this kind of um, letter, passage that we're reading through today. However, the mature in Christ tend to be the ones that realize there's a lot of growing to do. The mature ones, they're the ones that tend to realize there's an infinite gap. We sang, was the first song, this chasm between us and God. There's an infinite gap between God's character 
and my character. An infinite gap between God and us in which we have to learn and to grow. And so we understand that and we want that. And so it's interesting that it's, you're less likely to offend someone who's truly growing in the Lord and, and maturing in their faith in saying, hey, you have a lot of, you have a lot of room to grow. Because we all do. A lot to learn. The point of the passage is that God wants his people to grow up. He doesn't want anyone to be a perpetual spiritual baby, a.k.a. milky baby. So, we're going through Hebrews. What we're finding again and again in this, in this letter, it was originally preached to this first century Hebrew Christians, and we're seeing again and again and again that in this message, Jesus is better. Throughout all time, throughout all ages, all cultures, what we've known, what we could return to, better than anyone or anything, Jesus is better. He's worthy of our whole lives. And we see in the passage today, he's the better motivation. He is worthy of our attention. He is worthy of our effort to grow in the faith. He's worth it. He's the motivation. So that gets to the main idea for the passage, which is this. Some believers stunt their spiritual growth from lack of effort. Some, some believers stunt their spiritual growth from a lack of effort. You could put discipline in there other than effort, but they do, they do it themselves. So for the roadmap, we see first this problem of spiritual immaturity that's addressed in verses 11 through 13. And then we see the progress of spiritual maturity in verse 14. So there's the direction of the message today. First, the problem of spiritual maturity in verses 11 through 13. What we see in verses 11 through 13 is the speaker knows there's more that he wants to say. There's more he wants to teach them. There's more to learn. But we see in the passage today a, a, a pause to address the fact that there's a problem. He's going to swing back to what he was teaching about in chapter 7 through 10. We'll get there. But he's like, there's more to learn. There's more to say. But he pauses because he realizes there are some milky babies that he's talking to that have become dull of hearing. So there's more to learn. Look at verse 11. About this, we have much to say. About this, we have much to say. Let me refresh your memory a little bit. It's been a few weeks. We had Easter. All... What, what is this? About this? About what? We have much to say. What he's talking about is what he was developing earlier in the chapters, in 4 and 5, that we were getting into. The fact that Jesus is, he combines Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 to show us he's the better king and he's the better high priest. He's not just any other king from the line of David. If you look at Psalm 2, he's the one that's going to reign over not just one nation, but over the whole world. He's the king of kings. He's the better king. He's not just a king. He's the unique capital K, king. This is Jesus. But he combines that with Psalm 110 to show that he's also the better high priest. He's the, be the better representative of humanity to God. He succeeded where Adam and Eve failed. He's, he's the one that's, that can, and the only one that can, truly bring us to the Father. He's the better representative. He's the better high priest. Now, in the history of Israel, and he's talking to Hebrews, right? 
they know they've never had both a king who is also a high priest. There's one example where one king tried to do that. It didn't work out very well. He went into the temple. It didn't work out well. You're either a king or maybe you're a high priest. Those are two separate titles, two separate functions. So for Jesus to be both king, high, the, the, the king of, the, of his people, and also the high priest, how can that happen? Well, he begins to talk about this person, Melchizedek, who's mentioned in Genesis 14 and Psalm 110, who was both a king and a priest. And somehow he's going to fit in to show us a deeper reality of Christ and how he is both our king and our high priest, our representative. But before he does that, he realizes as soon as he mentions Melchizedek, some people are going to tune him right out. Is it possible that God wants to show us, God wants to reveal to us, God wants to teach us in our own lives things that we're not ready for him to do? Not because he doesn't want to, or because he, but because we have put ourselves in a position where we're not ready for it. John, in John 16, Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I don't want to miss out on anything God wants to teach me, that God wants to teach our church. So let's listen to what he's saying about not being milky babies, all right? Milky babies. So here's the problem. Keep reading in verse 11. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing What does he mean by that? Is he saying some of the people might be going deaf and so he has to speak louder, get me a bigger microphone? No. The NLT says it this way. It's hard to explain since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. The NIV puts it this way. Because you're no longer trying to understand. And the Holman Standard Christian Bible says, since you've become too lazy to understand. So you're getting an idea of where the problem was. Problem was some of the people in the church were not willing, didn't care enough to listen. There's an element of laziness there, of spiritual laziness. They become dull of hearing. Question. Question for you. Have you ever heard a topic, an idea, a word in a sermon or maybe in a song that we sing and you don't know what it is, but then you also don't care at all to find out what it means or what it is? So let me, let me say it in another way. Have you ever zoned out in one of the sermons here at Terra Nova? Have you ever tuned out when I'm preaching? That came across stronger than I meant it to. Okay, so I'm, mo- I'm mostly kidding here, partially because I have zoned out while I've preached before, and I don't even know exactly what that means or how that works, but it's like I'm up here, and I'm like, what did I just say? And now I'm over, and I've, it's happened to me, so I can't be upset at you if it's happened to you, okay? However, has it been characteristic of your, your walk with God in that whenever you hear something that you don't understand, you say, eh, I don't. I'm just going to roll with it. Like he just, he just mentioned, this is Melchizedek for the example here. I don't know what that means, and I'm just going to whatever. It's just like I got my milk. It's warm. It's creamy. And I'm going to, this has been sitting around all morning. It's probably really gross. But I got my milky, my milk here. I don't need, like, I don't know what he's talking about. 
There might be better food over there. I got, I got what I need. I don't need to learn anything else. I don't need to grow. I'm fine. I'm, I got my milk. Okay. Maybe you've heard a song. Maybe you've been singing some of the same songs for a long time. Confession, I sang the song Noel for years and years and years without knowing what Noel means. I didn't know what it meant. I knew what a lot of the other parts of the song meant, but I didn't care enough to look up, what does Noel actually mean that I'm, you know, yelling out in, 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 this, in this song? Have you ever sang the song, Here We Raise Our Ebenezers, and you have no idea what an Ebenezer is, but you're just shouting it out and all excited about it? Let's learn about what these things mean and grow deeper in, under, in the understanding of what we're hearing, of what the Word of God says, of what we're singing to God. Let's grow. Let's not be content to slurp just the milk. So, it wasn't that he was talking to unintelligent, incapable Christians. That's not what he says. It's because they've been lazy to attempt to understand, careless about their faith. We don't want to be the milky babies. And he goes on for the second description of what milky babies are in, verses, in verse 12. So first we see they, they, they're not listening. They become dull of hearing. Secondly, in verse 12, we see that they're not learning about the Lord. What they do here, they forget. They're not going any deeper into what they, the, the word of God. They're not learning. They're not retaining, another way to say it. This is where I want to take a second before I read verse 12 to say something really important. What the speaker author is not doing is telling them, listen, I know you already know the gospel. It's time to graduate from Jesus and what he did and who he is and the resurrection and the good news of the life to come. Like, let's, let's get away from all that. Let's graduate. It's time to go on to the next level stuff. You guys ready for that? That's not what is happening here. We never graduate from the gospel. Angels long to look into the gospel, Peter tells us. It's infinitely deep. Who Christ is, what he said, what he did, the power of his resurrection, suffering with him, the life to come, all of the gospel we never graduate from. In fact, I was messaging JBM John Goscomora yesterday. And he sent me a message which I'd like to read to you about this very thing. Listen to this. Funny thing about Christian growth. It's like fundamentals in baseball. He knows I used to play baseball. But you can apply this to anything. It's like the fundamentals. If you take take baseball for the example, here's what he said. You never stop looking at the simplicity of the gospel just as you never stop perfecting throwing, running, catching, hitting, and so on. The basics go on forever. Jesus died on the cross to save you is as simple as can be, but as deep as possible. You guys tracking? You'll never get to the bottom of it. See what he's saying? And it applies to it's the fundamentals of, of who Christ is, of what he's done, of what he said. We never get away from that. It's bottomless. It's so simple, but it's infinitely deep. He's not telling the people, it's time to get away from the gospel. He's saying, it's time to get deeper into it. 
So, second description of the milky babies. They're not learning about the Lord. They hear, then they forget. They're not retaining. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. What is he saying? By this time. So, is he talking to people that just became Christians yesterday? No. It doesn't say exactly how much time. Likely years. They've come together as the church, listen to the word of God, preach, sing together, out in the world together, and yet, by this time, he says, they should be able to teach others about God. But many of them apparently could not. By this time, I want to mention briefly, I'm reading a book called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, and I'd recommend that book for sure. He talks about time, and he says, if you think about our resources, the ones that are most valuable, the most valuable resources are the limited ones, the ones in short supply. Time is the most valuable resource any of us have. If we got the smartest people in all the world to come together and they had a conference to try to add time, no one could do it. It's limited. And we are, in fact, spending time. What he's saying to the church was, you are spending your time, whatever it is that you're doing, it's not in growing in your understanding of who God is. In, in turn, so that you can be able to not just know more about him as you mine the infinite depths of the gospel, but are also able to then teach others about the Lord. To do what he said in the Great Commission, to teach of what he, who he is, what he's commanded, to be a light to the nations. How are we using our time? He said they need instead to be taught the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's basically saying you're content to be surface level in your understanding of the word of God. And I want you to go deeper. There's more the Lord wants to show you. There's more he wants to teach you. And there's more he wants you to be able to impact those around you, to teach them. Which leads to the third description of the Milky Babies in verse 13. They are biblically unhelpful to those around them. Look at verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. When we become Christians, when we confess our sins, believe in Christ as our Lord and our Savior, a lot of unbelievable, great realities take place. We are forever forgiven. We are forever brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, adopted into God's family. We have an inheritance, unspeakable, co-heirs with Christ. Just unimaginable great realities happen when we simply take the free gift of salvation that's free and full and forever. And we talk a lot about that. But here's something that does not happen when you give your life to Christ. You do not automatically know all of what God says. You do not automatically have a good understanding now of Genesis to Revelation and how to, to know that, apply that, and help your, both yourself live a, a wise life and those around you that God has trusted to be in your lives. That does not automatically happen to any of us. That takes effort. 
That takes time. That takes discipline. And he's saying to them, don't be content just with the surface level. Go deeper. Know the word of righteousness. Why does he call it here the word of righteousness? I think he's trying to point out something specific. Righteousness means all that is right and pleasing to God. That's, that's what to be righteous means. It's right and pleasing to God. The word of righteousness, the word of God that shows us how to be right, how to be pleasing to God. I want to read to you a quote by N.T. Wright about this idea of the word of righteousness and the intended purpose. He says, the idea is the purpose of God in the gospel are focused on God's longing to put the world to rights and to put people to rights as part of that work. People should become proficient in understanding and using the entire message of God's healing, restoring, saving justice. He wants them to know their way around the whole message of Scripture and the Gospel, to be able to handle this message in relation to their own lives, their communities, and the wider world, and to see how all the different parts of God's revelation fit together, apply to different situations, and have the power to transform lives and situations. In particular, he wants to see grown-up Christianity, people and communities who have learned in the only way possible how to tell right from wrong. Just as a child learns, or ought to learn, that some things are good and others bad, he wants them to pursue maturity. If we find ourselves wanting to turn away from the challenge to think harder about our faith, are we prepared for permanent spiritual babyhood? Some believers stunt their own spiritual growth from lack of effort. And then we see the next part, the progress of spiritual maturity, like what do we, what do, we do about it, in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I'm going to read that again. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's what I see in this, in this verse. Persistent practice. And then we're going to end sort of how we started. The motivation behind all of this. So, the last description, if you will, of the Milky Babies is that they are undiscerning. To be discerning means to be able to distinguish, to know what's right and what's wrong. So how come those he's describing as spiritually immature, who are refusing to listen, to dig deeper into the word of God, the word of righteousness, who are not able to help those around them biblically, who can't understand what's right and what's wrong, how, why is that the case? Well, Here's the fundamental question. How do we know the difference between what is right and what is wrong? What, what's, your, what's your source? What's your foundation? How do you know the difference? If you have a conversation with someone and you're talking about a controversial topic, how do you know what's right or wrong about it? It's a, real, it's a, it's a great converse, conversation starter. It really is. So if you're talking to people 
or maybe you're thinking about these things yourself, how do they come to the conclusions that they come to about what's right and what's wrong? Many people will say, this is what my family says. This is what my parents taught me. That's why I believe this is right and this is wrong. Others might say, it's what the law says, and so therefore, this is right and this is wrong. Other people might say, I feel this way. My personal feelings are, this is right and this is wrong. While others might say, it's more so about what the society at large says, like societal norms. Here's, here's what's right and wrong because here's what most people in our culture say. Do you see the flaws in that? Those sources, not only are they, they're constantly changing over time. And when you're, talk, when you're talking about fundamental truths of believing what's right and what's wrong, are you really going to put your trust in something that's going to be different in potentially next year, <laughs> five years from now? My family, they, they change their ideas. The society at large change their ideas. My personal feelings about things, they change, they ebb and flow. It's always changing. And you might find some truth to agree with and from any of those sources, but also some lies to disagree with because the source of truth is from the God of truth and we find it in his word and what he's revealed. And so if we don't know what he's revealed in his word, how can I have anything of substance to talk about when it comes to what's right and what's wrong with a confidence, with a confidence that lasts? We go to the judge, we go to the lawgiver, we go to Christ. But that doesn't happen overnight. And I hope in hearing this, you don't feel the pressure of like, I need to know everything after I leave tonight about what's right and wrong. It's a process. It's persistent practice. If you want to get good at anything, you got to practice it, don't you? There's a couple phenoms out there. They pick up a tennis racket, and it's like, wow, you've never played before? Are you kidding me? But in general, and they, still they practice other things. I, didn't, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Whatever. It takes practice to get good at anything, right, essentially. It takes time. It takes discipline. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness. Like, let's work at it. Let's grow at it. Let's put the effort in. So what are we practicing? What do we, how do we mature? How do we do this? Great question. It's like a million, million messages to answer that question. Let me give you like five minutes. <laughs> how do we answer that? We learn about God in the context of our church community while we're serving. We learn about God in church community while we serve. If you've been at Terra for a little while, you see the eternal and the internal and the external right there. We learn about the eternal God and we respond individually but also as a church at large and in our, in our, in our life groups, our tribes, like we respond together while we're reflecting, while we're serving each other and the world around us and praying God sees, they see God's work in us. So we could talk a long time about how do we learn about God together in the context of church community while we're serving. Let me just give you a little bit. We want to learn about God. We want to know his word. And just a couple things, uh, a couple ideas, maybe you've thought about them, maybe you haven't lately. But when you're, when you're to know God's word, you want to be in God's word. And that means reading God's word and doing that together and doing that in community. And if you're better at, at listening, having that, you know, have it in your earbuds and just bring it around and listen to God's word. Have it in your commute to work or wherever you're going. Just be in the word. Listen to it. Journal about it. 
Memorize it. Take it to heart. Learn about the word. Talk about the word. Intake the word of God. Have it as a constant practice. But don't just listen to it. If we just listen to it, here's what James says in James 1, don't just be hearers, but doers of God's word in case you deceive yourselves. We want to put it to practice. Often what he wants to teach us in his word, you can only truly learn it and grasp it as you're living it, as you're living in the ways of God, not just hearing about what he says. So what does that look like? Maybe you've heard about, man, they talk a lot about this church, about being part of community, of like joining a tribe, a small group of people that you're doing life together. They keep talking about that. Okay. Have you tried it? Are you practicing? Are you living it? We talk a lot almost every Sunday about how God calls us to give joyfully, regularly, sacrificially. He wants to teach us to have our heart not on this world building our own kingdom, but where our heart is, that's where where treasure is, that's where our heart will be, and he wants to teach us to trust him and to give towards the work of his kingdom, to be invested in that, to teach us of where the treasures truly lie and to be part of what he's doing. Do we just hear that over and over and over again, or are we doing it? Are we living it? Are we putting it into practice? We talk a lot about serving, of, being, of, of serving those in our community and being, just serving within the church and outside of the church. And maybe you've heard it again and again and again of like volunteers needed to serve and you hear it and you hear it. And maybe you have some really good reasons and I know bandwidth of people are very different in different stages of life. But is it possible that you've heard the needs to serve in the church and you've refused it again and again and again because you're content? You're just content. You don't, want to, you don't want to. You don't want to grow. You don't want to put it to practice. And there's opportunities to serve outside of these walls. And I know many people do that in ways, in a bunch of different ways. And there's ways that our church uh, provides and encourages as well. It's why we do things like, like His Table on, on Wednesday nights at Victorious Life Church. They have meals for those in need to sit with, we can sit with them, eat with them, clean up afterwards, not just to serve, but also to get to know them and, and hear their stories and learn. It's always a two-way street in serving. There's opportunities there. There's compass care. You'll hear some more about that. They're looking for women, for some female mentors. There's an opportunity to serve. And then we have Care Portal, this consistent opportunity to meet the needs of people in our communities where we live. And we want to do that through the context, if we can, through our tribes. Not just to bring resources to help those who are in material need, but also opportunities to get to know them, to invite them, to to intersect with their lives. There's always opportunities to grow, to serve, to to be part of what God's doing, to get involved enough where we can be the kind of church that is exhorting, encouraging, comforting, bearing one another's burdens, all of that. There's always opportunities for it. We want to be doers of what God has for us. We want to be learning about God in church community while we're serving together. And I I want to point out one more thing. As, we're live, as we dedicate our time to grow in our relationship with God, it takes discipline, it takes effort. And if you find yourself, and I know there's seasons of this, but if you find yourself, you're going to church, you're going to tribe, and it just seems dead to you, can I say to you 
Potentially the reason is not the church or the tribe. Potentially, and let me just speak from my own experience, when I find myself in the word, praying, consistently putting myself in God's way, dedicating time to him, church is more exciting. I have more to contribute, to speak into other people's lives. When I go to tribe, not just last minute checklists, but like put in some time to read the passage that we're going to talk about and invest in it, it means more. It's more. There's more life there. It's not just on something that's given to us. Babies take, take, take. We want to grow up. And let me just say again, I have plenty of times where I know I'm not doing any of these things well. Can we just be honest? Just not. And even if I am doing, if I'm serving and showing up to my commitments and talking to people about God and like, sometimes it's just going through the motions, which also is not something that God wants for me, what he wants for you. He wants it to be real, authentic, from the heart, deep. And so that gets us to the end here of this, the motivation behind it all. Because if I'm doing it, if you're doing it just to impress other people, or because of what your family thinks, or because of what this other person might think about it, or to get something, or any of those motives, they're not going to keep you in it. They're not going to truly, he's not, your heart doesn't change and grow in that way. We need what only God can do to soften, to change. I'm a work in progress. We need God to work on our hearts, to soften our hearts. And remember the motive. The motive is not any of those things. The motive is Jesus himself. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. He told, he told Abram, I am your, your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Jesus is the motive. Look to him. He's worth it. Hebrews isn't kidding. He is better. He's better than anything, anyone, any other purpose, any other goal. And I know I need it and you probably need it. The continual encouragement, reminder to hear stories in our own lives of what God is doing and how he's working and how um, just just uplifting that is to see that in our own community with the people that we uh, just commit to. We need that. I need that. I don't want us to be, and I don't want to be motivated just with the creamy, delicious baby milk. I want the lasagna. I want the steak, right? I want the, Nick, you got an Italian food? Something like rigatoni, like mozzarella. Like the sauce. I want that, okay? I want us to be a church that is committed to growing together, going deeper into the gospel. It makes all of this a lot more fun and exciting when we're all committed to that. And can I just say, I don't even know, I don't know what this church looks like if every person in here does that. I don't think we've ever seen 80% of us are committed to wanting to grow in Christ. What does that look like? What does that look like in a year from now? By God's grace, may that be so. So I'm about to pray. Before I do that, Some of that might have been a little overwhelming, a whole lot at once. We live one day at a time, one moment at a time. Ask God whatever the next little step of obedience is, of what he's revealing to you, of what he's showing you in his word, through his people. Just say yes. And if you're here and you've been listening to this message and you realize, oh man, this is about me. I confess, milky baby. 
What, what could be something, a first step you take? Here's one. There's going to be people that would love to pray with you after the message today. They're going to be in that corner. Feel free to go. Ask to be prayed with. Doesn't mean you, they only pray for you. You can pray. Let's be a praying church. Get over there and pray. Maybe it has nothing to do with that. Maybe there's a relational, emotional, financial problem. Whatever it is you want to be prayed with, there's people to pray with you. And I want to emphasize again, it doesn't mean those are the only people that can ever pray. We can pray for each other. You can grab someone else to go over and pray. But there are people here today ready to pray with you. So that could be a good step uh, today for whatever reason you want to pray. So I'm going to pray as the band comes up and we continue to worship. Father, you are endless. And we are merely scratching the surface of the mystery of you. You are God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This endlessly loving, glorious community of the Godhead. And we see, Lord, in Hebrews that who you are is better. That Jesus is better. He's better than anything else we could live, to, live for or try to return to or care about, you help us to love ourselves and other people better. You help us to live impactful lives that matter. You alone can do that. And God, I, I confess I constantly need these people in this room to help me want to grow, to want to sacrifice Often when you have something you want to show us, it first takes us to have that step of obedience to say yes, which might mean a deeper way of dying to ourselves and saying yes to you, of as John the Baptist said, I must decrease, but you must increase. We need that, Lord. We need that heart motivation from the inside. So would you do that? Would you do that work? Would you do what only you can do? We confess it again. It's only you. Only you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness that you don't give up on us when we want to give up on you sometimes, when we're embarrassed about you sometimes, where we don't trust you. Forgive us, Lord. Help us take that next step of obedience. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.